This week, I've been doing a lot of driving back and forth. We had services for Dad yesterday, kind of that visitation time where people could come talk and share their stories, which was great and it was a fun time. But I've driven back and forth to meet a realtor once this week and to do different things over in Clay County. And what that means is I've driven back and forth down 46 between here and Clay County multiple times this week. And currently, uh, of the six trips with three times going back and forth this week out of six i'm pretty sure that five of those i have found somebody who doesn't know what speed they want to go or found somebody who really doesn't understand how roads work in general um and you guys know that my jesus is real like my my walk with jesus is really at its best in the car just kidding and so you know there's been those moments where i get behind the vehicle that thinks 37 is the speed limit which is a bit excessive. I know it's a little windy and curvy, but 37 is a bit excessive on the low end there. You're trying to get places and trying to make sure you make an appointment. And you're trying your best to feel at ease. Or there was that wonderful moment this week where if you're coming back this way on 46, if you're familiar, there is this moment where you're going up near McCormick's Creek. And there's this hill coming out of Spencer where you can like get around some people who've been a little slower. At least that's the idea. Um, this particular instance, I was going my cruise limit or my cruise control setting speed limit. And there was a guy who had been, you know, kind of close behind me for quite a while. And I was like, okay, cool. He's going to take this opportunity to get around me because he wants to go faster than me. And there was another vehicle behind him that clearly wanted to go faster than him. And he was kind of waiting for him to move back over after he got around me. And he was kind of angry that he wasn't. And then as we get up to that spot where you kind of merge back in before the park, there's kind of this moment where everybody kind of settles back into their lane. This guy forgets that he wants to go fast. So he spent all this time passing and keeping other people from passing, and now he's going slower than all of us put together. And we spend the rest of our time between there and Ellisville um, saying wonderful things about him, I'm sure. And I bring all this up and talk about traffic and all these wonderful things because it makes me laugh when I think about it. I really, only one of those times, the time somebody was going 37, of course, had somewhere to really be. But even then, I was a good hour ahead of schedule. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't stuff that needed done before that appointment, right? And I really look at any of those circumstances, I didn't have anything pressing. There's lots of those moments where like, I feel like I need to be somewhere. I feel like I really am just frustrated with the circumstances and I start to grumble and complain because there's something to complain about. Do I really have somewhere to be? Usually not because I try to make sure I'm going there ahead of time or within a schedule or whatever. It's all good. But I find myself in those moments where I just am frustrated because I want to be where I'm going and I don't want to sit behind soldier. I Really, the real issue is I just want to go at the speed at which I want to go. Because my timing is what's important. I want control over my ability to go at the pace I want to travel, right? That's really the issue. And I look at that and I talk about this feeling that we all get. Whether we're go- regardless of where we're going, regardless of what the circumstances, we get impatient when we lose control of the circumstances. When we know where we want to be or where we want to go, but we're not in control of when we get there and how we get there. That's frustrating. And then yet at the same time, we talk about Scripture, we talk about the way God works, and we have this little phrase we share with one another to encourage each other, really to give each other a pep talk in our moments of impatience, right? It's all in God's timing, right? Give each other those words of encouragement. It's God's timing, not our timing. We've got to remind each other, it's His timing, not our timing. Today we're talking about the prophets. 
And I can imagine that, you know, when a verse like this comes up in Psalm chapter 2, because we look at the Psalms, and in those songs about worship and about the glory of a king, and these kings writing these songs about what's going on, there's these moments where you realize God was speaking in them and through them through this worship and kind of lays out some of these statements that project something bigger. And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, it says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. There is this son that is coming. We know lots of other passages, lots of other prophecies that are pointing forward, all the way back to Genesis when God says in the midst of handing out punishments, he said, you guys are going to be at odds, your offspring are going to be at odds, but at some point, there's going to come one from your line who will crush the head of the serpent, right? These early prophecies of this idea that something better is coming. There's this son that's coming. These messages of what is to come. And there's all these little puzzle pieces that start to kind of you piece together and you start to add up and you start to look at. But it's really beautiful in the New Testament when Jesus finally arrives and these same kind of verses start to get used again. Here we are in Matthew 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, when Jesus is going to get baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we may not make that immediate connection, because it kind of sounds like this, but it's a little different. But the readers, the ones who knew the Psalms, the ones who were paying attention and speaking these languages of the day, feel that illusion, that point back to say, Oh, this is kind of a reference. God is kind of quoting this Psalm, this Picture that you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Like with you, I'm well pleased. The illusion of back to Psalm chapter 2 is taking place. And God is declaring, this is the one I was pointing to. The one I've been pointing to and leaving all these puzzle pieces, all these breadcrumbs, all these things to follow for so long. This is the one I'm speaking of. It actually happens again later in the book of Matthew in 17, 5 and 6. They go up on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. And God's voice speaks, and some of the disciples are there, and he says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I get that. Cloud. (laughs) I'm seeing Moses and some of these people like, There's a lot of stuff happening up on that mountain, and all of a sudden the voice speaks and says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. This is an amazing moment to be a part of, but the trembling and the reverence and the moment of realization that what we've been waiting for, the breadcrumbs, the pieces, the puzzle pieces, all that stuff is finally coming to fruition, has got to be a good feeling. It's got to be a little scary. We've waited hundreds of years. We've been seeing these things for much longer than hundreds of years. We've been seeing this since, like from the Genesis moment of this kind of prophecy of these statements that have been made about one who's going to come who will crush the head of the serpent. We have waited a long time. But what was that waiting like? Were they patient? Did they keep their eyes on the destination? Did they feel confident in what God was doing? Or was there grumbling? Was there frustration? Was there aggravation that they weren't in control? And so we're going to talk just a little bit about the prophets and what was 
being said and what was being done and how this was all leading forward, but I want to talk about our position and our attitude as we think about the prophets, as we think about what it means to wait, what it, we th- where we're at when we think about what it means for God to be in control and working towards something. Are we actually trusting Him and finding that happiness in Him that we talked about last week? Or are we looking to kind of take the wheel and go our own pace and go our own path and maybe saying some choice words along the way, right? Before we look into some more scripture, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I love you and I'm so thankful again for you and for your presence and for what you mean to us. And this morning, I just pray that simply you would speak into our hearts and our lives as we think about the how many times you were promised to us, how many times you were proclaimed that you would send your son to rescue us. And then we get to see from this vantage point so many things that you fulfilled and wonderful prophecies that the dots connected and all these wonderful things came to be. But then, Father, we're left in this position of now wondering what we're looking toward and how we behave and how we act moving forward. What has still been said? What are we still waiting on? And how are we venturing through that process? And so, Father, I pray that you would just speak into our hearts and move with us today so that we can become a little bit better at being patient and following and trusting you. We love you, and it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I, I will say this um, before we kind of move on to this next part. The, you know, you're going to read this in the chapter if you've got the book. You'll kind of see this this week. But just in case you haven't, or you may have slacked off in the reading a little bit, I felt like this was worthy of throwing out there. The prophecies that exist about Jesus are all over the Old Testament, right? And there are so many people who are longing and waiting to see something. Longing and waiting to see what would be fulfilled. We talked about, in the last couple of weeks, different moments where people missed. They were so busy looking at something else, they missed what was right in front of them, right? But we talk about a few. There's actually seven prophecies that kind of get spelled out in the chapter this week. He talks about, if someone were to fulfill just these seven prophecies, they're kind of some bigger ones, but they're significant in who Jesus was, born of a virgin, born in the city of David, several of these different pieces. There was a statistician, who did the numbers one time. He worked through this, wrote it in a book, kind of talked about it. He said, just the idea of Jesus fulfilling these seven prophecies that were spoken of throughout the Old Testament and throughout this writing, just to fulfill these seven, the odds are about this. And he puts out this massive number that none of us can wrap our heads around. And so he said, think of it this way. Take the state of Texas. How many of you ever ridden across Texas in a car? Not on a plane, in a car. It's bad enough in a plane, but in a car, it's like days, and you're like, I'm still in Texas, right? Cover the entire state of Texas in coins two feet deep. Two feet deep, and color one of them red. And then send a blindfolded wanderer throughout and tell him to pick up one coin. The chance that he finds the red coin in two feet of coins over the state of Texas is about the same odds as any one person fulfilling these seven prophecies. And not only does Jesus fulfill those, he fulfills many others. Okay, So that's the stat that is just kind of mind-boggling. Because again, if you look at Texas, it's one thing to see it on a map, it's another thing to drive through it. And you, you think about how vast and how massive and huge that is. I mean, even Indiana itself, which is way smaller, I can't imagine those odds. Two feet deep? And we think about the idea that Jesus is this beautiful, beautiful gift that fulfills these prophecies, that accomplishes the work that was set forth in the beginning, that does all this incredible stuff. But I can only imagine what the prophets went through. Because think about it. 
These people who are proclaiming this all throughout Scripture, how many of them get the satisfaction of being there when it happens? What was their life like, actually? I'm just going to tell you right now, if you go to read the prophets, and a lot of people don't because it's kind of confusing, number one. It's kind of depressing, number two. They're kind of constantly saying, you need to get it together or bad things are going to happen, and here's the kind of destruction, and here's the kind of struggle you're going to face, and it's rough. And they're going up against kings and sometimes being killed. They're going up against other prophets, the crooked kind, who are basically receiving bribes and payment to say whatever it is that that person wanted them to say in God's name and giving prophecies that maybe don't even matter because they're getting paid. And there's those few faithful prophets who write, and you hear them, and they're just miserable. They feel alone. We look at Elijah out on the mountain after he's just had this massive standoff and he's waiting for rain. He's doing all these things. And he's just like, God, just take me. This is hard. They're walking this path of suffering and struggle. They don't feel like anybody's listening. They, we talk about the happiness of last week and the fact that God is like everything we need. Is he the thing that gives us, and sustain, gives us everything we want, everything we need? Is he the one who sustains us? Is, is it in his presence that we delight? And they have that, but... Just the lonely existence of everybody else hating them, everybody else being mad because they're delivering these warnings and no one's listening, and it's just a rough, rough thing. And they're promising, hey, there's this destruction, or hey, there's going to be this one. Isaiah, if you read through the book of Isaiah, there are so many of these moments and prophecies in 7 and other chapters where it points toward Jesus. And we look at that now, and we're so grateful for the words of Isaiah, but what was his life like? He said, send me, I'll go. But it wasn't an easy road. And he, they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And many of them suffered and faced many difficult trials, waiting for what God could accomplish, promising that God was faithful and he would accomplish it. But what was that like? There's this passage we want to look at just for a few minutes. I was reading uh, a book this week, and this came up, and I, and I kind of, the word prophet stood out to me because it's on my brain. And, and it kind of sent me down this road, and I just feel like this is where we want to go this morning. And It's in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. It says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I'm going to stop right there for just a second, because here's the thing. We look back at the prophets and we say, that was rough, that was miserable, that was long, but the good news is Jesus is here and we don't have to worry about it anymore. But then we step back into reality for a second and realize that there's other promises that have been made. And many of us talk about them, and especially in a season like the one we've just walked through for the last two years, I've heard people say it a lot. We have to be getting close to the end. Because Jesus is coming back for us at some point, and we've got to be close to the end, because this place is just a mess. It's miserable. It's rough. Everything's just so bad. I think the end days are close. I'm not trying to depress anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody sad today, but I'm just telling you people have been thinking that for centuries and saying it just like we've been saying it, because they've been thinking the exact same thing we've been thinking. How could it get much worse? And for centuries, people have gone, surely we've got to be close. In fact, first century Jews were going, surely it's got to be close. He's coming back. Like we just, He just left, but he'll be back soon. The end of this age is coming. And here we are, like 2,000 years later, and we look back at that and we say, that's a long time. 2,000 years later, we can't imagine how long ago that was. And he's saying here in James chapter 5, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Where James is writing here to the followers of Jesus, to the brothers and sisters in Christ, the church in this early time, 
He's saying it as encouragement to them, be patient for the coming of the Lord, this second coming, this time when he's going to return, be patient. No one who read that original letter saw that second coming in the way we understand it, right? The way we think about it, the way we know about it. And so we look at that and he's saying, be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's one of the other things I saw a lot this week as I was driving back and forth, farmers in the fields, trying to finish out those crops late at night, driving down a road where combines and trucks are sitting in the dark, going through the fields, trying to get that, that harvest they've worked so much of the year towards. That patience that goes into the hard work, the hard labor, the waiting, the hoping for the good rain and the bad rain, like, you know, dealing with the seasons, dealing with whatever comes, the patience that comes into this, this culture understood it very well. Some of us that grew up around it understand it pretty well. Some of us have not touched anything near a farm and go, yeah, it makes sense, I guess, right? But this culture, this group, they, they hear that and they know the labor and the toil and the hope that goes into planting and tending and caring for and waiting for and the patience that goes into that. And so that's the kind of language he's using. You're waiting. Be patient. Keep pressing forward. Keep working. Keep your diligence. Do all the things you need to do, but be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Be patient like they were patient in their suffering. I love this little passage, and this is kind of the one. Do not grumble against another. Earlier translations said, like, don't hold a grudge or don't, you know, grudge. But that's really kind of the real emphasis of that word in the original text is kind of like this groaning, this sighing, this... As I read those uh, definitions of that word in the Strong's, you know, like concordance, you're looking through the details, trying to study that word a little bit, I'm like, that's exactly how I feel when I'm driving behind that person. Like, the, everything this word implies is, is exactly how I feel when I'm <laughs> stuck behind that car going 37 down 46. Exasperated, sighing, groaning, bemoaning, like, why did I have to get stuck behind you? Why did this have to happen? I'm just miserable and groaning and grumbling against another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. He's basically saying you have to be patient as you wait towards this goal. As you look forward to what is coming, we must be patient and continue to keep our eyes focused on what is important. Because along this journey, if we don't patiently tend to and care for what's happening like the farmer does for his seed, like he does for his field, being hopeful and waiting and pouring into and investing in the way he is, we are going to find ourselves grumbling amongst one another. And he says, so that you may not be judged. He knows that there is detriment and consequence and brokenness in the grumbling and the... <sighs> exasperated attitude that comes with this waiting because we become impatient. We want to take hold of the wheel. We want to do things our way and we start getting frustrated with how things are or are not going as we wait. 
He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. The judge, it's capitalized there. Who do you think he's referring to? Right? The judge has come. He didn't come in grandeur to be this king on a throne. We've talked about it. His kingdom is different. The prophecies that were filled pointed towards this one who would suffer. By his wounds, we would be healed. The prophets pointed towards one who would suffer and die and face misery on our behalf, who would be the lamb that was the final sacrifice. So we wouldn't have to bother with the sacrificial system anymore. And we celebrate the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. And He is the one who now can judge because He has paid the price for our sins, right? But listen, the judge is standing at the door as an example, not waiting to jump in and scare you and to take you by surprise. He's standing there patiently as an example of His suffering and patience how he walked through seasons of difficulty, how he walked through seasons of saying, not my will, but your will be done. He was a wonderful example. And in him, we talked about last week, we find our delight and our happiness. But yet, when the circumstances overtake and we start to focus, we forget the judge who's standing at the door. We forget his example. We forget to take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, those who proclaimed and had to wait in suffering and wait and maybe not even get to see what they were ultimately prophesying about. We forget them. We take our eyes off of that and we focus on the circumstances and we say, I wish He would just get us out of here. This place is miserable. I know heaven will be better. But remember, the prophets always pointed back towards Jesus. The second coming points back to the second coming of Jesus. And everything that we've been pointing towards in all of these prophecies and all of these promises is Jesus. And when we put our eyes on Him, we focus on Him, we remember who He is, the patience and the suffering, the example that He set, we can endure because we get to share in that suffering. We get to share in that example. We get to be like Him. And because we know He is what we're looking forward to, we continue to try to follow Him and look to the promises and hold on to those truths and keep pressing forward. This passage finishes up, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, who have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Keep pressing forward. Remember Job. He suffered a great deal. He lost so much, but he kept his eyes fixed on God's justice, on God's truth, on who God was. Did he grumble a little bit? Was he frustrated? Yes. He's like, why, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? But he still continued to look to his God and wrestle with the truth, despite what his friends were standing next to him saying. He endured. And he says, remember, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is another one of those references I've mentioned a few different times throughout the course of this because I've been reading that book, God Has a Name. And I'm just going to tell you, when I'm reading a book, it just it gets me excited, and I, get, I think about it a lot. But this is another one of those moments where he's pointing back to Exodus 34, where God says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, slow to anger, bounding in mercy and love to thousands, right? 
this language that the writer is referring back to, saying this is who God is. Remember, this is his identity. This is what he's all about. This is who he is. Don't forget the point of what we're chasing after, what we're following. Don't get caught up in the frustration that you don't have control of when we get to the destination. Just remember the destination and trust him along the way. You're not in a hurry. You have work to do. There are things to accomplish. And we talk about what it is that we're supposed to do. And there's another prophet in the book of Micah, and I was looking a little bit at the book of Micah this week, and there's this passage that we see if you go through Hobby Lobby. You'll see it a few times. It's like the one we put on the cutesy signs, the little farm uh, wood signs that we hang in our kitchens or different places. It looks like this. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of myself. Nope, wrong one. Sorry, my fault. I clicked the wrong button. Micah 6, 8. This is the one. I was like, 7 didn't seem right. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. What is it you're called to do? This is the sign we see a lot of places and we talk about it. Do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. As we look at the book of Micah and what he was dealing with, he is prophesying to the people of Israel before the Assyrians come in and capture them, before they send them into exile, before they're destroyed in this way, and they're speaking to this northern kingdom and southern kingdom, and right in that same time as Isaiah, and he's trying to warn them, listen, you're going to be conquered. Here are these things that are coming. God is going to offer you hope. He's going to build you back up, but you're going to have to face some stuff first. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through some trials. He's got those corrupt prophets. He's got those corrupt leaders. Things are a mess, and he's trying to give this message of hope. And there are a few different things he says. He's telling them what they need to do, but then we get back to this idea of what he's kind of saying. Sorry, this one. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I'm looking towards that end goal. I'm looking towards that destination. He is the one I'm pursuing. Micah's telling them this. He's saying, in the midst of all these things, I want my eyes to be fixed on him. A little bit later, he says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions for remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. This little passage right here says, I know who you are. You are a God, back to that Exodus 34 passage, who is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. You have always promised you would bring us out of something. You've always promised to be with us through something. No matter what it is we're looking towards and walking towards and moving towards, you have told us who you are, and you will not hold on to and retain that anger forever because you delight in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. And so we look at the today, and we look at where we are, and we look at the circumstances we're facing, and we get frustrated. We just feel like this car is not moving fast enough. I wish this was happening. I wish the world looked like this. I wish the government looked like this. I wish my community looked like this. I wish masks would go away. I wish, I wish, I wish nothing is to my satisfaction. I wish. But as for me... I will look to the Lord. 
I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I'm going to be honest, there are days I'm driving in that car and I just got to take a deep breath and go, hey dummy, talking to myself, not you. You don't have anywhere to be. Just chill out. In fact, you know what would be a really good idea right now is if you talk to God. You've got all this wonderful moment and opportunity to sit behind this slow-moving car and praise your God because He is still good and He is still merciful and He is still compassionate and He cares a lot about a lot of things that are far more important than where you are on Highway 46. There's just so many more important things in your life. So many more important things that you should be focused on. Some of them might be in Micah 6.8. Continue to focus on justice. Continue to love kindness. Who could I be praying for? Who could I be caring for? Who could I be thinking about? Who could I even give a call after this drive's over because we want to be safe as we're driving down the road? How can you walk humbly in God's ways? And instead, I'm just so pent up trying to work on God. Could you just get us out of here? Is your second coming here yet? Is the end time here yet? Are we done with this mess yet? Could you please just help us get to the end? I'm tired of this mess. And we look at the prophecy, you're going to read more about the prophets and what they said about Jesus, and they were always pointing toward Him. The prophecies of what we're looking forward to are always pointing toward Him. Even the hope of heaven is pointing toward Him and His presence. It's not about some cool mansion and golden streets I get. It's about His presence. And we said last week that He should be our delight. He should be our everything. But we let so many things distract us and we forget that the prophets had to suffer and endure and wait patiently. We forget that Jesus had to suffer and endure and wait patiently. It's 30-some years before he actually got to start fulfilling the work he had been sent to do. And even then, he had to kind of toil through that and work through that. And there was a lot of rejection. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of things we'll talk about in the next few weeks about who he is, what he faced, what he did especially as we lead up into and through Christmas, talking about His atonement. There's a lot of cool chapters I'm excited about, and I really wasn't sure how I felt about this one. (laughs) And it's one of those moments where I actually kind of looked at this chapter and went, can we just get to next week? Wisdom is really cool. I got a lot of fun stuff floating through my head about that one. Can we just get there? And even about this silly sermon, I feel like God is going, hey, (laughs) be patient. I have work to do right here, right now where you are. I have stuff to accomplish through you right here, right now, where you are. Wherever you are, if you're walking in my presence, if you're doing the things I've called you to do, if your eyes are fixed on me, if you remember that you want to walk in my way, I have something for you to do right there in that moment. Even if it's being stuck behind a car driving slowly down the highway. I have something for you. Can you open your eyes? Stop focusing on the circumstances. Stop focusing on the things that draw your attention and take away your delight and your joy and cause you to start grumbling. Remember, the example of suffering and patience is standing right there at your door waiting to offer you anything you need. Not waiting to jump in and surprise you and say, okay, good, you get to go now. I don't think that's what James is saying. He's saying he's right there at your door offering you the example and the encouragement you need to survive, to get through whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're frustrated with, whatever it is you're just tired of. He's right there. And he's saying, be patient and follow me. There's this last little passage I had here. It's just kind of a fun thing that Paul says 
In one of his letters, he's writing encouragement. He's reminding the people, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. He's in prison, suffering. Writing these letters to encourage people from prison. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Not grumbling at one another and not getting annoyed at each other because we don't do things exactly the way we wanted it to be done. Not because we don't have control, but being patient and humble. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity and the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul's saying, remember what's important. I'm writing to you from prison in the midst of my patience and in the midst of my suffering, saying, remember what is important. It's to be about God's work, united as one people, doing what he called you to do. To go be his people, to be patient, to look ahead to what the prophets have said, but to still stay steadfast to the work you've been called to in the meantime. In the early days of the prophets pointing toward Jesus, we look at those stories in the Old Testament and they're depressing and sad because no one lived up to that example of following the way they were supposed to. They failed miserably doing what they were called to do. They did not maintain well, and therefore they were exiled. Therefore they faced struggles. Therefore they did all these things. And I'm not saying that if you just do what you're supposed to, you won't suffer. That's not at all the message. But in the midst of the suffering, whatever struggle it is, we can have confidence in knowing that God is working through us and still accomplishing His goals through us because we remained faithful, remained patient, knew that suffering was part of the gig, and didn't give in to the grumbling that made things so challenging for the prophets, but gave ourselves over to the goodness and the delight of God and remembered the sacred truths and promises of all of Scripture always pointed back towards Him because He is our delight. And so today, be encouraged. You serve a God who is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to thousands for generations. He is a good God who is with you, has faced it already, and is right there to offer his experience and support and encouragement to you as you walk that road with him. Let's bow our heads. Just encourage you for a moment. Sometimes it's just about unburdening ourselves. God, what has just been stressing me out? and frustrating me that I just feel like I have no control over. Sometimes he's just saying, come lay those stresses at my feet. Trust them to me. Like, I know you're frustrated driving behind the car, but you just got to see that I'm there and I'm good and I'll take those burdens from you. I'll help you carry that load. Realize my goodness. And so in this moment, I just encourage you to identify a few of those things and say, God, I need to lay these at your feet. Help me to trust you with these things. Help me to set them down before you and your goodness. Once you kind of have that plate clear (laughs) of frustration and you kind of feel that goodness of God's presence and you know that He is in control and that He's got all those things under His control and that He is good in the midst of that, you find that space to delight in Him, to be happy and find joy in His presence. And so I just encourage you for a moment just to think and reflect on how He is good, why He is good. Hold on to the goodness of who he is and find that joy and hope in him just for a moment to to celebrate and praise and remember.
Father, I delight in you. I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm so appreciative of your love and who you are and what you mean to us. And so, Father, I just pray that you would give us strength to open our eyes and see. Sometimes we just get so wrapped up in where we're not getting or what we're not getting accomplished or what's not going our way or what's not productive, and we're, we're just so frustrated. And, Father, I think back to those people who had to wait hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for that Messiah, and even then they didn't get what they wanted. They got something way better, but they still didn't get what they wanted. And the grumbling and the people who walked away from you and rejected you and missed out on those opportunities, Father. I just pray that you would help us to see the goodness of your love, of your constant faithfulness to us, how you have always been for us and with us and never leaving us or forsaking us. And that we would recognize that goodness and recognize your presence and stop living such impatient lives, waiting for something else, wishing for something else, hoping for something else, but to realize that what we hope for, what we have put our faith in and our hope in is right here with us at that door offering us encouragement, support, example, reminders. Pray that we would just find delight and surrender in your presence. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.